He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everyone my name is charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer ce dorset and uh yeah you can hear it i still have a cold and it's kind of ratcheted up a bit today so i want to apologize for the quality of my voice hopefully over the weekend it will get better and by the time I'm doing Monday's shows, everything will sound all right again, and I won't be all nasal. Until then, please pray for me. <laughs> pray for Brian, too, because he's still sick as well. All right. So today, we are continuing our study on the Apostles' Creed. If you are new to the podcast and you're not sure why we're doing this, I highly recommend that you go back to the first episode and check out the reason, because it kind of blew my mind. But today is our final episode on the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to be talking about the phrases the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. If you've listened through this entire series, then you know the first thing that's going to come out of my mouth next. This is a very controversial part of the Creed. (laughs) And like with everything in the Creed, There are a lot of debates and theories and discussions as to what this means and why it says what it says. I don't, as usual, want to get into a lot of that debate space right now for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think it benefits us to discuss a lot of speculative things. There are sometimes when speculation can be helpful and be informed and really help us when we're talking about spiritual or mystical matters. This isn't one of them, I I don't believe, especially when we talk about the resurrection of the body. So when we discuss this, the conversation inevitably goes to So you believe that you will live again on this earth. Well, actually, if you pay attention to the arc of Christian theology, it never actually anticipates us living again on this earth. It postulates a future state where this world, where this heaven and this earth have passed away and all things have become new. That is the place where the resurrection of the body is. That's the time frame. It is a place outside of our time and our space. And that's one of the reasons why I feel that it is unfruitful to discuss a lot of the more speculative aspects of this, simply because I don't know that our minds are capable of contemplating a new world, a world completely different from the one that we live in. 
remember the context for all of the prophecies of that world is that all things will be made new. It is a place where there will be no sorrow. So it's not anything that we can really wrap our heads around. This is a world where, well, as many of our prayers even say, they call it a veil of tears. I mean, this is a place where sorrow, stress, and anxiety are part and parcel of living here. It's almost impossible for me to imagine a state in which those things aren't here. This is one of those places where I feel like we benefit from looking to our Jewish sisters and brothers who refer to the life of the resurrection as the world to come, the Olam Chaba. It is the world to come. Do I believe in the world to come? Yes, I, I do. I, I do believe in the world to come. I believe that it is our purpose and function in this cosmos to rectify all things and to restore all things to unity with God. What that final form will look like and what it will end up being, I think, is so far beyond anything that our human imagination can wrap around. We have concocted a myriad of stories about it. We can discuss life without suffering and that blissful state, but it is something that is foreign to us. It may be something that we have access to during times of meditation or during various mystical experiences that we encounter along our path, but in our regular day-to-day -day life, a world without sorrow and suffering just seems so outlandish. It seems so far from everything that we experience. And I think that that is the point. I think that that's the purpose of thinking about it. We are in this world to bring about the pure land, to make the kingdom of our Father manifest on this earth. A place of compassion, of love, of justice, of beauty, all of which perfect and perfected. And in everything that we do, in every action that we take, we are striving ever more to bring about that perfection into this world. We will probably never achieve that in our lives, but that doesn't mean we should not add to the energies trying to make it come about. You see, this is one of the things that really differentiates faith from nihilism. Nihilism accepts that the world is falling apart through the process of entropy to the point where there will be nothing left. Whereas, if we are people of faith, we live in the hope that things can and will get better, but only through our action 
and our effort. See, this is what I think people miss in the definition of faith. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, and we quote this quite often in the show, you know, it's the writer says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. And the ultimate thing not seen is the final state of the world. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, remember, we've discussed what faith is. Faith, in its most basic form, is the confidence that we have developed through practice, through tasting to see that the Lord is good, by participating and partaking in the divine energies and seeing their effect on our lives. So faith is the assurance of the things hoped for. It is the proof of the things not seen. So if faith is that confidence we have developed through practice, then it is our wellspring from which we develop our assurance, our proof that in the end, in the final end, all things will work together for justice. We may not see it now, but we will get there. You can see this type of faith in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, right? He climbed the, to the heights of the mountain. How did, he, how did he say it? I may not get there with you. Right? He understood that within his own lifetime, the glorious world that he saw where we could live together in harmony might not be something he got to see with his own eyes. Like Moses, he might not be able to enter that promised land. But that didn't stop him from believing that that promised land was out there. And that we would one day arrive there. And here we are all these decades later, and we still haven't arrived in that promised land. But like Dr. King, I have the faith that we will. And that faith is the assurance of the thing hoped for and the proof of the thing not seen. I see the voices of so many crying out against the ignorance and racism that has reared its ugly head in our country so that it's visible to all, even though it never really went away. They are bolstering my faith that one day, somehow, we will get there. There is a chance. There is a hope. And so long as we have that hope, we can fight for that future. We can struggle for that world. We can perform our ministry of reconciliation, as St. Paul call, called it, bringing all things together for God's justice. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is our job, this is our duty in this world, to bring peace, to bring reconciliation, to work for the Olam Chabad, to work for the world to come. And 
through our actions to help bring it to pass. You see, we can talk all day about what our bodies might look like in that idealized state, or will we recognize our friends and loved ones in that idealized state? We can talk about all of that, but that's all speculation that distracts us from what we are actually supposed to be doing, working for the day when there are no more tears. See, the biggest problem that has developed in the world is this waiting for a savior to come and fix everything. We don't need a leader to guide us. We don't need a leader to take us to where we need to go. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and Jesus, our high priest, who reigns in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And together, as the body of the living Christ, we can unite to make things better. So long as we don't let this world distract us. And that's why the phrase, you know, the world to come, Alam Chaba, is important. You see, the world that is will always try to distract us from making the world that is to come. Nothing wants to go away. All things long for their own permanence. And as we've discussed on numerous occasions, nothing is permanent. So if nothing is permanent, then we have to look to the, our current state of affairs. They are not permanent either. And yes, one day, in some glorious future, we will rule and reign in the kingdom of our Father, and this world will be perfected, and there will be no more sorrow, no more hardship. Justice, beauty, loving kindness will all prevail, and they will rule the day. I believe that. I believe that if you live in the kingdom, you see glimpses of it in your life. The merest hint of it, here and now, as we walk through this veil of tears. And yes, I do believe that this world was created in an original blessing. And that, for the most part, the world is a blessing. But there are so many things trying to distract us from that blessing. And to keep us from seeing the glory that is to come. We'll be back after this word from our sponsor. And we're back. So, to me, that is the point of looking towards the resurrection of the flesh and the world to come. But, as you know, I like my spirituality to be practical. And that's where the second half of this phrase comes in, and the life everlasting. That life everlasting is something that starts now. That's something that starts here. That's not something that is waiting for us after we die. It's something that's right here and now. And it's something that we have to learn to see. Or better, unlearn the distractions that keep us from seeing it. 
Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. See, people get lost in that phrase, especially the prosperity preachers who go, see, he wants you to live in abundance so you will be rich. No, he didn't say we'd be rich with money. He said we would be abundant in life, in living. And that's the true glory of the path that we walk. The eternal life starts now. That glorious life starts now. We live in the kingdom, where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I also in the midst of them, Jesus says and promises. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced that presence. He promised that he would send us the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit would guide us to all truth. And I have experienced that guidance. That's something that we've talked about on previous episodes, when we talked about the Holy Spirit, and when we talked about Jesus. Right? And that's where we are. This is the eternal life. And if you're not experiencing that now, and if you're living a spirituality that's not promising you that now, then again, what's the point? You see, I'm not saying that if you give your heart to the Lord Jesus, then all of your problems will go away. I'm obviously not saying that. I'm talking to you right now with a cold. My nose is stopped up. I'm having to pause the recording periodically so I can sneeze and blow my nose. I have a headache today. You know, I'm not saying that all of your problems go away. Because that would be a lie. But I, even in this, am experiencing the eternal life. I can feel the warm glow of the Spirit within me as I'm talking to you. I can feel the encouragement of the Spirit to move forward and to talk, even on a day like today, when I really don't feel like doing much of anything. You see, that's what Christ promised us, that we would have life and have it more abundantly. You're hearing the fruit of that abundant life in me right now. That here on a day where all I feel like doing is curling up and taking a nap and not <laughs> realizing that the rest of the world exists out there because, you know, my head is just really not in a good place. I can still talk to you about my love for Jesus. My my spirit sings his praises even now because I live in that life. I have tasted that life. And even now, when it would be so easy not to see it, when it would be so easy to ignore it, here it is. Here I am. And that's the power of everlasting life. You don't have to die to live in the pure land. It's here. 
It's right now. In Original Blessing, Matthew Fox talks about what he calls, calls realized eschatology, realizing that the end has come, that it's here, that it's all here. The kingdom is stretched out on the world, and we don't see it, but we can learn to see it. And that's what prayer is for, and that's what meditation is for. And when you realize that your life is a prayer to God, that every action that you take is a living prayer beaming energy and power out into the universe it affects the way you live and as you meditate and you become more accustomed to the subtle energies flowing through you and around you and that basic joy and compassion that is our natural native state you find hope you find life that is eternal life. It is here. It is now. We can feel it. We can be present in it now, here, where are you, wherever you are. It may not be easy to see. And I'm not saying that I'm going through the worst suffering on earth right now, because I'm not. I have a cold. <laughs> we all know how miserable that can be. And of course, it's rainy out, so my joints are hurting and my back is hurting and I have a headache. But I am not wallowing in those pains because I have tasted the fruit of the tree of life. You see, St. Louis de Montfort taught that at our baptism, the seed of the tree of life is planted within us. And through our actions and through our devotions, we water that seed. It is watered with our tears of sorrow, and it is watered with our tears of joy. And throughout our life, we must tend that garden. We must grow that tree. We must pull up the weeds from the roots that are trying to drown it out and keep us from seeing it. And that is such a beautiful analogy for the spiritual life. And we see this in the works of St. Bonaventure, who wrote an entire book called The Tree of Life, which is all of the blessings we can discern from the life of Christ. It's a great book. I highly recommend that you read it. But this is what we mean when we say eternal life. So many people are concerned about what comes next. And they forget to be concerned about what ha what's happening now. Now is what we have. Later is inevitable. Do I believe that there is a life after this one? Yes, I do. I have reasons for that, and I'm not going to go into them on this podcast, but I have faith that there is a life after this one. I also believe that there was a life before this one. But what we have right now is this life. And if this life is going to mean anything, we have to be concerned with now and what we have now here in the places that we are and not spending all of our time concerned about something that will inevitably come. Death visits us all. It's the one thing that none of us can escape. It is coming. It has been following us since we were born. And if, like St. Francis, you learn to greet her, 
as his sister. Then she will be far less frightening when she does come for you. But in all of that worry about death, we forget to live. We forget that the eternal life is now. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. That rest is not in the next world. That rest is here. It is now. It is in this world. That's the glory of eternal life. You can taste it now as you live in this world, in this life, doing everything in your power to bring about the Olam Chaba, the world to come, that it will be a better place for those who come after us to the point where eventually it will be sheer perfection. And I don't know how long that will take. And beware of anybody who tells you that they do. Perfection could occur tomorrow. It could happen a thousand years from now, a million years from now. We don't know. We have no idea when it will come. As Jesus said, the kingdom will not come by expectation. They will not say, lo, here it is, or lo, there it is. The kingdom is spread out upon the world, and they do not see it. It is here. It is now. It is not something we are waiting for. So please stop waiting. The kingdom is here. Sit in quiet meditation. Pray that the Lord will open your heart and your mind that you will see it. One of the things that you notice when you start reading a lot about prayer and meditation is how many people enter that glorious tabernacle light, that glorious light that Jesus and the apostles walked into on Mount Tabor, where they saw Moses and Elijah. And I'm not saying that everybody will get a vision, but I will say so many people during meditation and during moments of intense prayer will experience that light. There's so many books over so many years, centuries, of people describing that experience of walking into the glories of the kingdom. I invite you to walk into the glories of that kingdom. It's easy. Sit and count your breaths. Sit and be calm. Allow your mind to relax. Pray, get all of those thoughts out. Cast your burdens upon Jesus. He will take them. And remember that in doing that, you then you have it offshored the obligation to do things. Just because you pray that the Lord will help the refugee or the people who are suffering, that doesn't absolve you from your responsibility to do anything in your power to help them. And you might not have anything in your power to do. If you live in a democracy, you can write and petition your government to do something. They have the power, and you as a citizen have the power to ask them to do things. Whether or not you as an individual have that power or not. We 
should all be working to bring the kingdom of Zion here now. We should all be living in the kingdom of Zion here now and leaving the world of Babylon behind, leaving the bondage of Egypt behind. We no longer live there. We live in the kingdom. We live in Zion, the pure land of our father. It is here and it is now. If you've just, if you've enjoyed this episode, I want to say thank you for putting up with my voice. And the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate this app or this podcast. Please do so. That does help me out a lot. That tells the algorithms that they should share me with others. And that really does help out more than you know. If you've got a buck or two you could throw my way, depending on the app that you're listening to me on, there may be a button that says support, or if not, in the show notes, there'll be a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, it'll take you over to their site. You can donate at the $1, $5, $10 a month levels. I don't get set those. They, they do. But that money goes to me and helps me to keep these shows coming to you, helps me pay for upkeep on the website and everything else. If you don't have the money to help, uh, trust me, I understand that. I've got a lot of big expenses coming up that I'm going to have to deal with. Please pray for me. Your prayers mean the world to me. They really do help out a lot. And share this podcast with people that you think will benefit from hearing it. If you'd like to call into the show, you can do that. Just go to anchor.fm, download the Anchor app, and follow Wisdom's Cry on there. And you'll see a button that says voice message. If you click that, you can leave up to a one-minute message. and be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like to hear me discuss on the show. Keep it clean, and if it's good, I'll use it on the show. I do enjoy doing episodes based on those call-ins. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Wisdom Cries Out on Twitter. You can find links to everything that I do over at wisdomscry.com. And until next time, when hopefully my voice will be better, may God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.